Good morning, everybody. Thanks for uh, <coughs> pushing through snowpocalypse to get here this morning. Snowpocalypse or snowmageddon? I can't. I don't. Snowmageddon? Is that what it officially is this year? I'm not sure. Um, I'm excited for this morning. It is the first service of 2015, and we are in the midst of our um, time we're calling the exchange. Kind of been using the the, the term, it's more than a series. Um, the idea behind that is that this is going to be more than just Sunday morning messages. It uh, involves much, much, much more than that. So I'm going to ask our amazing, wonderful, stupendous hosts. We have some cards we're going to hand out to everyone. Uh, we'd like everybody to take one of these. Uh, they're, they're $18. No, they're free. Um, they're, uh, this is just a, a card. We're launching right now into... Uh, starting immediately after service into our fasting and praying portion of our, um, of this more than a series of the exchange. And so uh, this card is just to kind of try to help you. It's, it's a tool to try to help us do two things, try to help you if you're kind of new to this whole idea of praying and fasting. Um, the other piece of it, honestly, is to try to help us all kind of be pushing together. You know, this is the kind of thing that uh, you can't fast for somebody else, right? Like you, you, can't, you can't do this for someone else, but yet there is something unique that happens when we as a church uh, kind of pull together and do something together and stay together. So I'm not going to talk about this side at all, really. There's, a, there's some uh, outlines on there. There's a lot of words on there. Uh, for those of you who like to read, you're welcome. For those of you who don't, you're welcome. Um, but this side I am going to talk about real fast. We, we've given you just kind of a, a basic a uh, little tool to try to help keep you accountable, try to help keep you motivated. Uh, there's four little blank spaces here that we're going to ask you to fill out in your own time. Um, we're encouraging everyone involved in Sozo to fast. Now, we have a menu of, of options of fasting. I, I had somebody come up to the service afterwards last week and say that they'd never seen a fasting menu before. <laughs> um, but we have one, I think, that we can throw up. Do we have a slide that we can... About fasting and the ways you can fast. <laughs> there it is. See, ways you can fast. Um, I'm not going to read that, but you can. Um, those are the different ways that we would kind of encourage you to, to, to do one or a combination of those. Um, so that's the little first slot here. You can write down what, what it is that you're fasting. The next slot is why. I think it's important for us as we, as we move into a, a, a season like this to do it with purpose and to do it with... Uh, with a focus in mind. So this is your little spot that you can fill those sorts of things out. We've also given you a time to be um, accountable to yourself. You don't have to show this to anybody, but when are you going to spend time with Jesus? The point is not to, to, um, to dietary fast so that you can kind of lose your holiday weight. That is not the point. Everybody say amen. Um, the point of this is to spend time with Jesus. And so really, we wanted to give you a, a tool, a place to write down what time of each day are you going to spend with the Lord. And then I didn't talk about this very much last week, but it is a, a piece that I would greatly encourage you to do. Um, who are you telling and when will, uh, when will we meet? Find a believer, find somebody in the church here and just let them know, hey, this is what I'm, this, fill them in on this stuff. Hey, this is what I'm fasting. This is why. Uh, and can we get together like once a week and just help encourage one another, help keep each other engaged and motivated. So that's that for you. Stick it in your Bible. Put it in your wallet if you have a gigantic wallet. Um, ladies, you can put it in your purse because 
you're special like that. But we're going to go ahead and jump in now to uh, the Word and do kind of our look at Isaiah chapter 61. Before we, before we do that, though, I'm just going to pray, and then we'll jump right in. Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning for your Word. We thank you, God, that your Word is living and active, not dead and passive. And God, we celebrate you, and we celebrate your word this day. We ask that you would open our hearts, that you would open our minds, that you would, you would break apart the hard and stony places of our heart. You'd remove the stone of our heart, and you would put within us a heart of flesh that we might receive your word. God, break up, as it were, the, the, the rocky, stony, fallow ground, God, that parts of our lives that seem to have been trampled down and pushed down and, and seem to, to not desire you and desire your word. And God, would you break those up by your presence and by your spirit this day? God, let us be, let us be receptive to your word. Let us be responsive to your word. Let us be obedient to your word. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Now, if you missed last week, it's okay. Um, don't worry about what you missed. Let's focus on what it is that the Lord can do in the remaining portion of this time. Amen? So let's, let's dive right in together. Uh, Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 4. says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison door, the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. Catch this. Why? Why is he doing all this? I love this. That they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And then what's the result of all of this? They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall, uh, they shall repair the ruined city, the devastations of many generations. So let's dive into this right now. I've got a lot I need to get through this morning. I'm going to talk fast, so listen fast. So we, we've got here an understanding that the message of Jesus, and just if you missed last week or you forgot, this is the passage of Scripture that in Luke... Jesus reads at the beginning of his ministry. He's traveling around at this point. He's an itinerant preacher. He's just traveling around from synagogue to synagogue, what we would consider church to church. He's bouncing around and he's preaching a message. And Luke tells us what he preaches is this. He stands up in the synagogue. He stands up in church. He takes the scroll. He takes the Bible. He opens it to this passage. And this is what he reads as his, as his declaration of why he has come, of what he's going to do, of the purpose of his ministry. If you want a mission statement for Jesus' ministry, this is what he chooses. Now, he only, he only reads uh, verse 1 and half of verse 2. But we're kind of taking a look at what all this means. And what, what I, I need us to see is this. This is the big idea from last week that I need us to still have fresh in our minds. That the message of Jesus, the Bible, the scriptures, let's narrow it, focus as much as I can. The gospel is not disconnected from your life, but it is crucial to your life. This idea that I have my spiritual, religious, Sunday morning 
uh, hour and a half, I shouldn't even say Sunday morning, it's like an hour and a half on Sundays. That's my spiritual life, that's my Jesus time. And then I've got the rest of my life is my normal life, my real life. This is just this thing I do on the side is completely and utterly contrary to everything in here. Rather, the gospel is meant to shape and form the entirety of our lives. But the reality is, I think the reason why so many believers reject that truth is this. We want the relief of the discomfort of our dysfunction. We don't want the healing of our dysfunction. What I mean is that the Bible says that because of sin, because of the fall, we are, we are broken. It doesn't say we're maimed. It doesn't say we're slightly disfigured. It says we are shattered and broken. And it's like we're walking around with, with broken legs. And all we want is to come to a church and to be given morphine so we don't feel the pain but don't touch my brokenness. But the reality is that the gospel has no interest in relieving your pain. It has interest in healing your brokenness. Jesus said, I came to bind up the brokenhearted. Come on, I came to set at liberty those who are bound, and I came to bring victory to those in battle. And he does this through the gospel. And we see in Isaiah 61 here, we see that, that the process of this, see, we, we, we need to understand that there is a process that this happens. Amen? This is not like a moment, like you, you come forward, Billy Graham preaches, you accept the gospel, everything's great. And then if it doesn't, well, then just try it again. That's how I was raised. I don't know if anybody was raised in that stream. I hung out with them for a while. They're like, well, maybe it didn't take the first time. If, 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 you're, if you're coming forward at summer camp didn't work, well, maybe you're coming forward at winter camp will. Nobody else? Just me? Okay. Um, that's not the reality. The reality is, is that salvation, your redemption happened 2,000 years ago. It is applied to you in a moment of repentance, but your sanctification, the process through which that broken bone is reset, through, through your bondage is relieved, through your battles are brought victory in Christ, is a daily walking out of exchange, hence the name of our sweet series. It's the exchange. It's that process of exchanging what it is we have for what it is Christ has purchased for us. And here we have uh, outlined for us three primary things. He says, I'm going to give you a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. I've overly simplified this to try to help us understand that it's a new way of thinking, a new way of respond, a new way of, of, of feeling, and a new way of responding. That in Christ, we think differently, we feel differently, and we respond differently. The reason why you're changed, listen to me, if you're waiting for some like fuzzy spiritual thing to change you, that's not the way it works. There is, there is a process through which we, we put off, the scripture tells us, the old man, and we put on the new man. That's this exchange that we're going to talk about. Today we're going to deal with this whole idea of ashes and a beautiful headdress. If you're into different translations of the Bible, if you look up this verse, you'll see that, that thing, beautiful headdress, is translated differently. You may have heard it before where it says, I'll give you beauty for ashes. Some translations say, I'll give you a garland instead of ashes. Others, others I read one, uh, the literal translation, the Young's literal translation literally says, I'm going to give you a turban instead of an ash heap. <laughs> I loved that one. Uh, the idea here, what we'll get into, but let's, let's look at these these two uh, contrary things.
things, the ashes and the beautiful headdress, ashes were placed on the head of those in the Old Testament who were trying to demonstrate their repentance because of their, their, their shame, their failures, and their mourning. They would put ashes on their head to try to show people, like, look, I, I screwed up, I'm, I, I messed up, and, and, and here I am mourning, here I am putting dead, burnt things on my way of thinking, on my head. And then you contrast that with this whole idea of a beautiful headdress. And I'm going to be real with you, if you look it up in the, in the Hebrew, that is really the best translation of the word, beautiful headdress. See a fashion movement coming to Sozo with all the ladies with big fruit basket. No. Um, the idea here in, in the uh, Hebrew is, is quite interesting, actually, as I kind of dove into it. Literally, the idea is that it's a headdress made of branches and leaves and even sometimes fruit. It's a fruity headdress. It's, it, the, 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 the picture here, if you need one to kind of help you see what I'm talking about, if you ever saw a picture of Caesar... Caesar didn't wear a crown of gold, he wore a crown of, of branches with leaves. The idea of this, I didn't know this actually to be honest with you until I was studying this out, um, his, the reason why he did that was to demonstrate that regardless of the season, he had the power and the authority to make branches still have leaves. Even in the fall when everybody else didn't have them, even in the winter, when, you, when your season is one of you don't have branches, Caesar was saying, I can still have branches. The picture here for us is this, that there is a dead, sinful, old way of thinking that Jesus wants to remove from our lives and give us a new way of thinking, to give us a living, fruitful way of thinking, a beautiful way of thinking. The scriptures tell us that God thinks higher thoughts than we think. And what he's saying here is this, I want to remove your dead, old way of thinking, come on, and I'm going to give you a new way of processing everything that happens. There's a higher way of perceiving. There's a higher way of processing. There's a higher perception that he wants to give to you. There's a new way of thinking. We need to exchange our old, dead way of thinking for his new living way of thinking. Now, this may be too practical for some of you. You want to just kind of get in a room that's dark and light a candle and hum and put on worship music. But the reality is, if your life is going to be transformed, if you are going to engage in the process of becoming more like Jesus, you need to think more like Jesus. So he says, that's part of what I am giving you. The result of this, I find it interesting. You see three things in verse 3 that he says you're going to exchange. Beautiful headdress for ashes, oil of gladness, for mourning, praise instead of a faint spirit. And then you see three outcomes in the latter part of this verse, right? You see that you'll be called an oak of righteousness, you'll be the planting of the Lord, and he'll be glorified. Not to overly diagnose and overly dissect this whole passage, but I believe there's a correlation between these. That as we, as we come up with a, as we receive a new way of thinking from the Lord, we become like trees. We become planted. We become oaks of righteousness. That word oak means two things. It means, one, it means the, the, to be like a, a pillar or like a tree that can bear weight. So follow me now. We're going to take a little turn. We're going to rewind to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. I want us to see this. You'll, you'll get it here in just a minute. It said, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, 
nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but he delights in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Verse 3, he is like a tree. So here we have, right, how we become like a tree. He says, he is like a tree planted by the streams that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaves do not wither. Are you seeing the connection here? In all that he does, he prospers. But check it, verse 4. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. I want to talk to you this morning about having a crowned consciousness, about having a new way of thinking. My question is this, who or what dictates to you or is allowed to mold how you think, what you believe? Because here we're we're given some, some instructions. Now before I dive into this, I need to make something super clear. Two things that need to permeate our thinking here. Big picture is this. This is still done supernaturally by Jesus. Just because there is practical steps that he calls us to take does not mean that those steps are not spiritual because they are done in obedience. We're not talking about sacrifice. We, we hammered on this last week. We're not talking about sacrifice. We're talking about obedience. It's not how can I beat myself up and make myself feel bad. One of the foundations of this church, one of the foundations of the gospel is that the answer is never try harder. The answer is always lean more. Right? It's trust more in Jesus. But if your trust in Jesus does not result in your obedience to him, you don't really trust him. Hello. Well, I trust Jesus. I just don't do what he tells me. So how much do you trust him? When I'm hanging out at the pool in the summertime with my daughter and she's standing on the edge of the pool and I say, jump to me. And she says, no. Why does she say no? Because she fears the water more than she trusts her dad. How many of us fear the water, come on, more than we trust our Heavenly Father. When he says, do this, and we go, no. But if I do that, then can I tell you that's because of a way of thinking. So first off, it's not about about trying harder. I want to make sure we get that. I'm going to a practical place in this this time, but I want to make sure we don't lose the reality that if Jesus doesn't do it, nothing happens. The second thing, and this is applicable right now to this passage, I need us to understand, I'm going to be talking about people here because this, the verbiage, the wording here is people, right? It's the wicked, the sinners, the scoffers. But we're not talking, we're not talking, we're not talking about people. We're talking about systems and patterns and ways of thought. We, this is not a message of condemnation toward those who are wicked, sinners, and scoffers. This is a message to believers about what we allow, come on somebody, to mold and dictate and shape the way we think and process. I just need to make sure we understand that. I don't want anybody leaving here going like, well, well, Mark says we shouldn't hang out with sinners. Well, Jesus did, so that's stupid. We'll get to that in a minute. So we're not to walk, stand, or sit. With the wicked, sinners, or scoffers, right? So we're not to walk, stand, or sit. Let's, let's unpack this. Let's, let's try to, to, to grab a hold of this, to put some handles on this so that we can go somewhere with it. The wicked are those, literally, when you, when you dive into that word in the Hebrew, the wicked are those who are hostile toward God and who live their lives specifically to, 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 uh, to, to be... There's, it's a tough thing here because we, we can't... 
God is God. He is supreme. You are not able to hurt God. Okay, let's be clear here. Uh, one, of the, one of the things that I hesitate when I, when I present the gospel to us as a church um, and to people, I talk about how Jesus Christ, the righteous one, uh, died and rose again eternally triumphant over all his enemies. You've heard me say that 47,000 times probably. I, I hesitate. If I'm going to be honest with you, this is just free behind-the-scenes stuff. I hesitate because the reality is God has no enemies. Like, there has never been, like, a legitimate, like, contender for the throne that God sits on. So in reality, in the truest form of reality, no one is his enemy. In the same way here, we need to understand that, that, that the wicked are those who, 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 who lash out against God. And what it says here is, you ought not let those people be your counsel. You say, yeah, but, but I got this buddy, and, and he hates Jesus, but, but he's got some really good ideas about business, so I listen to him. And I let him mold the way I think about the way I do my business. You ought not do that. Because the reality is, the Bible teaches us that Jesus is truth. So if they don't believe in, trust in, and grab a hold of Jesus, their business practice is going to lead you into ways of doing business that do not glorify Jesus. The whole point of your life is to glorify Jesus. It says don't, don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. Don't live your life that way. Don't listen to them. Don't trust their advice. Jesus is truth, and anyone who denies him has no truth. I, I remember driving down the road in Seattle. I, I, we lived in Federal Way, which is kind of southern, the southernmost portion that could still be sort of considered Seattle. And we, we, I worked in Puyallup, which is the northernmost part of Tacoma. <laughs> so I had like a, a good commute back and forth every day. And I remember I was scanning through the radio stations, and I came across an ad for a guy who, who, who was holding a, a Bible conference. And I thought, that's cool. I mean, it was a secular radio station, and it was, we're going to have this great time for Christians to learn about the Old Testament. I thought, that's awesome. We need, we need a better handle, hello, on the Old Testament. He said, so we're going to have a Jewish rabbi come in and teach us about the Old Testament. And I lost it in my car by myself, screaming at the radio. Because the reality is, every word of the Old Testament centers around, focuses on, and points toward Jesus. And how are we going to listen to a guy who doesn't believe in Jesus teach us about the Old Testament? He doesn't even know what it's about. Okay, that's the same thing is true about anybody who tries to come and give you counsel for your life. If they don't know Jesus... They're missing the whole point. Okay, next we've got sinners. Now that might seem pretty self-explanatory, and I'm going to speed up here, but sinners are those not just who sin, but those who are exposed to condemnation. They are those who are living their lives, missing the mark of righteousness. And the Bible says we shouldn't, we shouldn't stand in their ways. Well, let, me, let me explain what I think that means. I think what the what the scriptures are trying to teach us here is this, that sinners ought not be what we consider normal. A normal life ought not be modeled to us by people who live their lives in contradiction to the scriptures. Let, let, me, let, me, let me push that a little bit more. We ought not look at people we see on screens whose lives are contrary to the nature of God and say, well, that's normal life. I think the designer of life ought to be the one who tells us what normal is. 
And the scriptures teach us that God is creator and he's the one that molds and shapes and forms and sets what's normal. The model should be, can anybody want to guess? Jesus. Jesus ought to be our model for what normal is. Then it says scoffers. Scoffers are those who boast in themselves and deny God's supremacy. These are not people. This is so tough for me. It says don't sit in their seat. What it means is don't be among them. Now you say, well, you just said we shouldn't abandon those who are not of the faith. Let Let me turn this and twist this and see if I can get you to see this at the right angle. The difference is this. You ought not sit in their seat. You ought to invite them to sit in your seat. The difference is influence. Are you influencing them or are they influencing you? Are you changing the way they think and process or are they changing the way you think and process? Having a conversation about a struggle in your life and do you let them say, well, I heard. I heard if you move your furniture around in your living room and always keep your bathroom door open, So that way all the bad juju gets flushed down every time you flush the toilet. If you hang these crystals in the window, your marriage will be better. If you rush, if you start thinking about leaving your door open all the time in your bathroom because of that, they're influencing you. I'm using an extreme example here. I actually had a friend tell me this stuff. The feng shui of your house is off. Jesus is the feng shui of my house. Amen? Are they influencing you or are you influencing them? The, the idea here, again, is not to abandon those who are lost. We're left on this earth for the purpose of those who are lost. The idea here is, is wh- who's influencing whom? Because the reality is God is supreme. If they're a scoffer, if they say, well, I think that I'm supreme, guess what? Jesus is supreme. Why? Because it's all about Jesus. So instead of of walking, standing, and sitting with those who are hostile toward God, live lives that are contrary to his nature, or who deny his supremacy, rather, we must allow God's word to be the foundation, the framework, and the fortress for our thinking. It says, let's go go back to it, Psalm 1. It says, don't do any of those things, verse 2, but his delight is in the law of, of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Yes, this is referring to the Old Testament law. It can also be applied to the entirety of Scripture because all of the Scriptures is God teaching us and, and, and directing us and guiding us in the way we ought to think. So I've got some verses here. I'm going to throw a whole bunch of Bible at you. Is anybody excited for that other than me? I hope so, maybe, kind of, sort of. I'm just going to read these if the screen can keep up. Cool, if not, that's fine. We've got a bunch of verses. John chapter 1, verse 1. This is, I need you to understand what the Bible is, who the Bible is, how the Bible works. This is John chapter 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Catch this, please. And the Word was God. The Bible is Jesus. Jesus is the Bible. We don't worship the Bible, let's be clear. But Jesus speaks to us, communicates to us, and delivers his good news and his new way of thinking. His beautiful headdress is given to us, and the ashes are washed off by the scriptures because they're Jesus. You say, well, I think some scriptures are good, but others aren't. 2 Timothy 3, 16, verse 
uh, verse 16 through 17, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Hello, somebody, that's all the scriptures, not some of them. Romans chapter 15, verses 4, because you go, well, maybe it just means the New Testament, not the Old Testament. Well, Romans chapter 15, verse 4 says that for whatever was written in former days, that is the Old Testament, was written for our instruction. That through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we may have hope. Hello, somebody. So let's go back to Old Testament. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It's not disconnected from the way you live your life every day. How does it do this? Jeremiah 23, 29. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? You got a stony, hard heart? Read your Bible. So I'm struggling to respond to the Lord. Read your Bible. Matthew 24, 35. Heaven and earth will pass. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And then I, I, John 6, 63. This is one of my favorite verses about verses. (laughs) It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. So all the, all the hyper-spiritual people say amen at that point. All the people who like to like hang out in dark rooms with candles and listen to Jesus culture, they amen at that point. The rest of the verse says, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Let me explain. Reading your Bible is not contrary to, to spirituality. It is in direct connection to your development spiritually. I'm going to put it bluntly. The better you know your Bible, the more you'll be like Jesus. But I want to try to connect this here for us, if I can, to try to help us understand this idea of the Scriptures not, not being out here, but the Scriptures informing and shaping the way we think. I, I put it this way. They should be the foundation, they should be the framework, and they should be the fortress of our minds. You can build, what I mean by foundations, you can build your life on the word. The principles and the things taught here, the things that the Holy Spirit will show you here, you can build your life on. If you say, well, my life's really different and the Bible doesn't really speak to my life. All scripture, come on somebody, is God breathed. All of it can inform, shape, reproof, correct, teach you how to live your life. All of the scriptures. The word imparts stability because it's unchanging nature. Your day may be different day in and day out, but the Bible stays the same. So you can build your life on it because there's stability there. Amen? Other things fade and change. The Bible says it does not. It doesn't alter. It doesn't bend. You can allow the word to guide and direct your life. That's what I mean by framework. It imparts guidance and direction because it sees at a higher vantage point than you can see. You see a few things. It sees everything because it's eternal. It lives outside of the construct of time. Wish I had time to unpack that. I don't. Yes, we must heed the voice of God, but his voice never contradicts his word. And you can find safety 
and shelter in the word. Look, there's going to be a lot that comes at you. There's going to be a lot that's thrown at you. There's going to be a lot that, that seeks to derail you in your life. But the word brings about safety. It imparts protection because it's backed by God's power. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says that the kingdom of God is not a matter of word, but power. As we, as we hide ourselves in the scriptures, come on somebody, it, it is protection. I need you to understand that what you believe frames the way you think, and you cannot consistently live differently than the way that you think. So my encouragement to us as a people, my desire for us as a church, my hope in the midst of this exchange is that we would begin to think biblically. That we would allow the Bible to be what shapes, molds, and forms the way we think. If you'll give me a few more minutes, I want to touch on four big areas that I think we need to understand thinking biblically. And I'm going to go real fast through this, so just hang on. I'm going to talk real fast. The four areas we need to make sure we think biblically are about God. That, that's pretty self-explanatory. About the way we think about God. The Bible ought to be what informs the way we think about God. The Bible ought to be the way we think about man and about ourselves. The Bible ought to be the way that we think about the problems of this world. And the Bible ought to be the way we think about the solution to those problems. When I talk about thinking biblically, that's what I'm talking about big picture here. So God is either supreme like it says in the scriptures, or he's some non-existent or distant, angry, egomaniac that's out there somewhere. If you talk to most people that aren't believers, that don't think biblically, either they think that God just doesn't exist, which is a lie. I don't believe anybody truly believes that God doesn't exist. I'll just throw that out, but we can have that conversation later. Or they believe that God is somehow some sort of giant, angry, distant, egomaniac who's just hungry for our worship or is distant and doesn't want anything to do with us. The Bible says that God is the single most important, powerful, valuable, glorious thing ever. Everything was made by him. Everything is held together by him. Everything is for him. We need to let the Bible, come on somebody, inform the way we think about God. Next, man and ourselves. Either man is the fallen and corrupt creation of God, or it's the highest possible achievement of evolution. Those are your options. Either God created us and we have fallen and are sinful, or we went through the, the goo, through the zoo, and made you, and now somehow we are the peak and the epitome of all that is valuable. This bleeds into everything because either we are the fallen creation of God or we're supreme and therefore we hold the highest value in all creation or existence. I guess it wouldn't be creation, would it? Those are the options. The Bible tells us that we were created in the beginning as good, but through sin, through the fall of our sinfulness, through man's fallen nature, the good creation of a good God has been cursed, broken, and marred, and that death, sickness, pain, and suffering are the result of our willful disobedience toward God's law. I know that's not popular, but it's what the scripture teaches. So that leads us to the problem. This is really simple. Either the problem is sin, and I mean every problem. Name a problem. The problem's root is sin. 
Or the other option primarily is to say that man is evolving and we just haven't reached the place of, of, of evolution yet where we can live in harmony with one another. And so therefore we just need to somehow uh, become better people and evolve quicker. And once we do, all the world's problems will be solved. Because really, people deep down are good. Not sinful. We're good people. Deep down. Deep, deep, deep down. But the Bible says that because of sin, everything's broken. So then the solution is either that man is without hope and in desperate need of a Savior, <clears throat> Jesus, or we simply need to try harder, be nicer, and evolve into quote-unquote better people. The Bible says that we can't save ourselves, that we're helpless, and we're helpless because there's nothing in us that desires help. But rather, when the Holy Spirit comes, he quickens our dead spirit to desire God. And through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, there is redemption for mankind. Let's, let's, let's get this out of some vague way of thinking. Let me be just real with where I was. Before my redemption, I thought that God was a distant judge and a cosmic killjoy. That, that was my perception of God. Like, like, God is out there somewhere, and he's not really interested in my life, and the only interest that he has in my life is to tell me that the things that I love are bad. Anybody else with me on that? That was, that was kind of my thinking, my thought frame on God. The way I thought about myself is that I was the master of my own destiny, and I was the point of everything. That really my only problem was other people not giving me what I wanted, so the solution was me getting more fill-in-the-blank so that I could be happier so that I could be better, so that I could, I could be happier, stronger, fill in the blank. That, that was my perception. After redemption, here's what we need to understand. I now understand that God is glorious, wonderful, righteous, merciful, and good. That he is my father, and that because of what Jesus has done for me, he is now my God. I understand that I am a wicked and corrupt sinner. That the desires of my heart are constantly wicked. They're constantly against what God would have for me. But that because of what Christ has done for me, I no longer stand as a slave to my sin, but as a redeemed, reconciled son of God. And that my problem is my sinfulness. My sin is the real problem in my life, not others, but me. And that my only hope is to abandon, this sounds crazy, but my only hope is to abandon all my efforts at, efforts at being a better person and to trust fully in Jesus. Do you see the difference in the way of thinking? We have to abandon this way of thinking and embrace this way of thinking. How do we let the Bible frame our way of thinking? We read it, we write it, and we repent. I, I can't make it any simpler than that. Read your Bible every day get into study it and read it and I, I, I say those differently I don't have time to unpack it I say those as different elements you should just read your Bible just crack it open open it up on your flat screen read it study it let it let it grab a hold of you let let words bring life to you dig into those words and study it both privately and with other believers get aids get some get some help find some things that that can help you find some things that can teach you. If you get if you get stuck, if you get if you get bogged down in an area, grab a commentary. Go find a believer who knows a little bit more about the Bible than you and ask for some help. 
The next thing I said is right. I, I don't think you should read the Bible passively. I think you should read the Bible actively, which means you should read the Bible with a pen in your hand. All the dudes in the room are like, I don't, that sounds like a diary. Call it a journal and be cool, okay? Like, you should, you should write what it is that you're learning. You should take notes when you read the Bible. It doesn't have to be a lot. I'm not saying you should just take tons. Of, if you're a crazy note taker, take tons of notes. But write down those things that God shows you. And the last thing is you need to repent. When your lifestyle or your life contradicts what you read in the Scripture, quickly, immediately ask God to grant to you repentance and to change your heart and your thinking in that area so that your life can change. Because here's the truth. I love you. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Prolonged disobedience leads to a hardness of heart. Hebrews tells us that the harder your heart gets, eventually you hit a point where your ears become numb, your eyes become dim, and you forget that God speaks. So read your Bible, write what it is that you're seeing, write what it is that you're learning, and repent as you come across things that contradict the way that the scriptures teach us to live our lives. I said that the, the word oak there in, in, Hebrew, in, in Isaiah means a pillar, means a tree. There's one other thing that it means. It also means, it, it can, it's most often actually in the New Testament translated as a ram. I thought that was kind of weird at first until I started to really understand and, and study this. I think, I think what the scriptures are trying to show us here is this. When your life is shaped and formed by biblical thinking, you become one who can bear weight in the things of God. Your life becomes one that can bear weight in the kingdom. Your life becomes one that can bear weight within his purposes and his plans on the earth. He can, he can put weight on you. But the other side of that coin is this. That when we live this way, our lives become a sacrifice. Rams are a sacrificial animal in the scriptures. They are offered to God as a sacrifice, which leads me, and I don't have this in the scriptures because I just thought of it. <laughs> Romans chapter 12. Verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, this is where I want to end, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Be the ram. As a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. How do you do this? Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, catch this please, by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect does anybody else catch the picture there does anybody else see the connection there renew your mind let, let the ashes be stripped away let the beautiful headdress be placed on you how do you live as a ram how do you live as a living sacrifice you allow the scriptures to inform your thinking be transformed in the way that you think. Let's stand to our feet. Holy Spirit, I thank you this morning that you don't leave us without transformation, that you don't leave us without a new way of thinking, God, that you don't leave us just hoping for some 
fuzzy, disconnected spirituality to bring transformation, but that, God, you desire to utterly and totally transform the way that we think. We're going to respond this morning. And I would encourage you. We're going to respond with communion. We're going to respond with worship. My heart this morning as we come to a close is, is, is twofold. First off, that those who are here that are not thinking properly about God would repent. If your mindset, I'm not just talking about those who, who are, have not experienced redemption. I'm talking about those who, who in general just don't think properly about God. If you still are plagued by thoughts that, says, that say that, that God is anything other than a good, gracious, and loving father toward those who he has redeemed. If you're still afraid of God, if you're still distant from God, if you're still, if you're still constantly looking over your shoulder expecting a lightning bolt or a smack from heaven, I would call you to repent. Because the reality is that Jesus on the cross paid for every failure and every mistake you ever committed or ever will commit. That in him there is now no condemnation for those who've experienced redemption, but only everlasting joy. If you still think of yourself as a slave to sin, you need to see that in Christ you have been made a son of the Most High God. If you have not experienced that redemption, if you've not repented of your sin and turned to Christ, do it now. We need to see God properly. See God biblically. The next would be those who, maybe your lifestyle is not such that you can say, yeah, I'm a ram. My life is a living sacrifice unto the Lord. Well, my, my prayer for you this morning is that you would repent as well. That you would turn to Jesus. Allow his goodness, allow his graciousness, allow his, his redemption to have its full work in your life. That you may be transformed ever more into his image. We're going to respond through communion through worship, we're going to have people up here to pray for you. Listen to me, if you're not taking advantage, if you're struggling through something, whether it's something I mentioned or it's something completely different, if you're struggling through something, you are not designed, I'm going to be meaner than that, you are not capable of dealing with it yourself. You were never designed to do it, you were never meant to do it, and you are incapable of doing it. And it is only pride and ego that keeps you away from asking another believer to pray for you. I would encourage you, if you need prayer, we're going to have people up here to pray for you. Take advantage of it. Holy Spirit, I I ask that you would just speak to us this morning. God, that you would draw our hearts towards you. That you would reveal dead, worthless patterns of thinking. And that, God, you would transform us by the renewing of our minds that we may live as sacrifices to you.